Happy Easter. It is great to see you. We're so glad that you're joining us inside, some of you out on the lawn and some of you online as well. And we just want to say thank you for being a part, making this a part of your Easter celebration. We are so glad that you are here. It has been a great day. This is our third service. You are my favorites. You are. Have I said that to the other two? Maybe, but I'm saying it to you, and I'm so grateful to get to worship with you. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job in leading us. And our goal every Sunday is not to put on a performance. It is absolutely just to help us be preoccupied with who Jesus is and being able to focus our attention on him. And they do a great job each and every week on that. Well, I'm so glad you're here with us. We are celebrating Jesus' resurrection with this idea of rise. And we'll kind of, you'll see that more and more throughout the service today. Sherry, thank you for my pen. I got it, yeah. And, um, but we want to do that a little bit by looking at God's word together. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Philippians today. If you don't, no problem, because we'll have it up on screens. If you have a Bible, though, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn is what I learned in the third grade, and it has stuck with me. If you can't find any of those books, it absolutely doesn't help you, so I apologize. But want to help you find your way there. If you have our app, if you don't, you can download it. Uh, but our app basically also has our message notes under resources. So if you click to that, go to resources, sermon notes, and you'll see today's date of April the 4th, and that'll help you track with us as well. Before we dive into it together, I wanted to tell you, for those of you who are new to Trinity, maybe visiting us today, we're again super glad that you're here. Um, you wouldn't know that we have been working our way since January through the Gospel of John, getting to know this Jesus better each and every week. We are going to continue in that series, but with a new kind of brand, a new name, as we continue into John chapters 5 through 10. We've done one through the first part of 5, we'll do 5 through 10. Up on the screen, this is the graphic for the series, Conspiracies, Adversaries, and Unbelief, The Messiah Revealed. And if that sounds a little bit like, ooh, that's kind of interesting, come back next week and find out more, and you'll see what we're going to be looking at. But that's, that's kind of where we're headed after today. Well, here's how I want to start today. I want you to think about what were you doing, what were you thinking last Easter? In the last service, there was a groan. <laughs> uh, we were about three weeks into a pandemic, and we were figuring out a whole lot of things on the fly. And, and what was in the middle of all that, probably for you, were a lot of unknowns, potentially a lot of fears, definitely a lot of frustrations, right? Restrictions were happening almost every day, it seemed like, of a new thing that now we can't do. And what probably was true as well is there were probably lots of predictions. The famous one on the staff from me, as I told our team, ah, probably be a couple of months. <laughs> Wrong. And you might have made a few of those as well. But as you think back to that, I want that actually, that mindset, to be the kind of perspective of where we're launching out from today as we look at this passage in Scripture together. Because what we have all collectively, though our experiences might be different in some ways, we've all collectively experienced a year of pandemic. And within that, all the different pieces and parts that come to that but one thing has really been true. There's been a few big lessons, but I want to focus on one to start our time today. And actually, it was a, a statement made by one of our pastors. Pastor Alfredo leads our uh, Spanish-speaking congregation called Fuente de Vida. And this is a statement he said to me not too long ago. I thought it was so 
perfect in, in what has happened. He said, a crisis doesn't develop who you will be, but it demonstrates who you already were. Think about that. A crisis doesn't develop who you will be. It simply demonstrates who you already were. And I thought that was so poignant. Maybe an easier way to think of it, the way my brain thinks, is simply when you get squeezed, what comes out of you? And if you look back over this last year, there have probably been some moments that when you got squeezed, you would say, you know, I, I think I did what the best thing I could have done there. I think in this case, I honored the Lord in, in my decision or my reaction. But we all have plenty of others that we would go, I mean, I'd do that over. I would change that in a heartbeat. And what I want to look at today is in the midst of all the challenges that we've faced, we're not through. And the interesting thing is, even if we get over the pandemic at some point, we still won't be through. Because the reality is, is that we've been promised in this life there's going to be difficulties. But the great news is, is that as we watch the example of our Savior and as we're strengthened with his power, Paul says that we can endure the light and momentary troubles that we have in this life. And because we're so convinced of the resurrection, not only in Jesus' resurrection and what that meant for him, but what it means for us, those of us who put our faith in him, because we're convinced of the resurrection, we can keep going now because it's going to be worth it. In your notes and on the screen, our now what statement for today, embrace Jesus' words and example that you must descend before you will rise. Jesus taught it, Jesus showed it, that you have to descend before you rise. Number one in our notes, Jesus condescended in order to meet your greatest need. Jesus condescended in order to meet your greatest need. We're in Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." First, that blank I just gave you was the word condescend. I want to make sure that we're all using the same definition. A staff member this week reminded me, usually that word is very negative, right? It's like, oh, I can't stand being around that guy. He's so condescending. And, and that's our general use. But another use of that in the semantic range of the English word condescend means to become lowly for, to, to come down to someone else's station or level or a situation. And that's the way we're using that word today. Jesus became lowly for our good. And, and I think about this. Uh, think about the words that get stuck in your mind. They happen, right? And of all the different assortments of the words that get stuck in your mind, most chances are the one that might have even been stuck in your head this morning are lyrics from a song. Songs, whether you want them there or not right? Some of you just wish you'd never had heard, but they just kind of keep ruminating, ruminating around your brain, and you, and you have these sticking there. Well, the, the reason why is, is that lyrics have not just words, but they have a melody, and they have emotion, sometimes even negative emotion, but they have emotion. And the interesting thing is what we just read in Philippians chapter 2 is the first half of what would have been a first century hymn 
in the, not only the local church of Philippi, but of the church. Paul writes, as he's writing through this letter to the Philippians, the believers at Philippi, he comes to verse uh, chapter 2, and he kind of breaks form. The Bible is really cool because it has all kinds of different genres. Sometimes it's narrative, it's telling a story. Other times it's very directional, it's giving you direction of what to do with your life. Sometimes it uses fantastic language that we just are even trying to, it's developing word pictures, what does it even mean? And then other times it uses poetry and song. That's what you and I just read was the first half of a song that the first century church would have sung. And what's fascinating is when you think about the content of the song, what we just read was Jesus's humiliation. Jesus willingly, intentionally humbling himself on your behalf. And I find it fascinating that to think about that first century believers would have had that tune and those words humming around in their mind throughout the week. When they're doing chores around the house, when they're off to the job, when they were doing school, either way, this is the stuff they were thinking of. And why is that so important? Because as we'll see, it wasn't just what Jesus did for us, but what we're called to be to one another. Look at the first part. It says that though being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider that status of being deity something to be grasped. That might be the best literal translation of that Greek word, something to be grasped. So that phrase is saying Jesus being God didn't aspire to be. He already was. Jesus being God did not hold so tightly to that as though it was the prize, as though that status was some sort of spoil of war that he was going to hold on to, but he willingly set it aside, let it go. And that's a powerful thing to realize as we talk about this condescension of Jesus, how Jesus descended into our humanity, as it wasn't begrudgingly, but it was, was with great intent, great purpose. And so he did just the opposite of clinging to it, of grasping it. He let it go. And Paul says, here's three different phrases to capture that. He made himself nothing. It says that by taking the very form or shape of a servant, it says being made in human likeness. Maybe the short version of saying that could have been this, that the creator becomes the created, that the almighty becomes the weak, that the master becomes the servant. These are all things that Jesus does in taking on flesh and becoming one of us. It says the humiliation didn't just end there of becoming human, but it moved him all the way to the cross, dying on a Roman cross between two thieves. That might even be new information. Why do, why do we see so many crosses everywhere? What's that even all about? It begins with this understanding. We, we have them prominent even in our worship center as a reminder of the fact of what Jesus did on our behalf. And when you hear that almighty God humbled himself, not only just to take on our flesh, but to go to the cross for us, that should shock you. It's meant to be shocking. The problem, the problem is that for some of us, though, we've heard this gospel message for years, even decades, and it just has somehow become ho-hum. I want to say it's anything but. And Paul wanted to make a big deal, make a, a big impression on the Philippian Christians. Do not forget, don't lose sight of the fact of what Jesus did on your account. 
Now, if you wonder today, well, why would Jesus need to do that? Why, why humble himself on, on my behalf? And it goes all the way back to our first ancestors, to Adam and to Eve, and a decision they made to say, God, I know you said X, we're going to do Y. Take a look at this chart. An author did a great job of comparing what we see in Philippians 2 of what Jesus does to all the way back in Genesis 3, what Adam does. Look at this. For Christ, he um, was already existing in the form of God. He was God. And then you'll see for Adam, he was created in the image of God. So you already begin with two very different places of being. Jesus is God. Adam was created to demonstrate or to mirror the character of God, but was not God at all. Now look at the next part. Jesus did not grasp equality with God. He let that go. Adam was tempted to be like God. That's what the temptation was all about. Does God really know? Did God really say What's going to happen to you when you take this? You will be like God. Jesus took the form of a slave. But when Adam reached out and grabbed this fruit that God said was restricted, he became enslaved to sin. Jesus was obedient to death. This is powerful. For Adam, death came as a result of his disobedience. So you see an incredible contrast between Jesus and between our ancestor. And the reality is when Adam sinned, the Bible teaches us we all somehow sinned. Not a single one of us voted to come into a world that was sinful and broken, but that's the world we've come into. And the reality is that sinfulness and that brokenness needs healing, needs forgiveness, needs rescue. That's why Jesus takes on flesh and that's why he goes to the cross. So when we recognize the extreme humility of Jesus in descending, you know, it's powerful about this year's kind of Easter theme, the way we've kind of just looked at it. Easter's a beautiful thing like Christmas. It happens every year. So we're just trying to look at it through a different lens. And this lens of rise, understand that when you're already at the top, you can't rise. You're already there. So the whole concept of rise means that Jesus initially had to descend. And these words are meant to develop within the church then and now a sense of great gratitude that Jesus would do this for us. But it's not just about, well, Jesus did this for you. It's meant to be a model, an example that we ourselves would respond with this kind of humility, this kind of servanthood towards other people. If it was good enough for the master... For the leader, it's going to be true for his followers as well. There's an expectation inherent in this passage that Jesus not only did this to rescue us, but did so as an example that we, his people, would walk in humility as well. Now, this past year in the pandemic, there have been so many incredible examples and opportunities for us to descend into ways that we can serve and help one another. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of you, what you did is you were just wanting to make sure that your neighbors and your coworkers, your friends, your relatives were okay. You'd check in on them physically and even from a distance. You all right? You'd text them. You'd call. Are you doing okay? Here at church, we pulled out our database. We called everyone we knew to call just to check in. Are you doing okay? That's awesome. When people couldn't go out or shouldn't go out for food, you did that for them. 
You went shopping for them and took care of that. Some experienced great financial loss, were laid off of jobs, lost businesses, and you helped financially fill that gap. At Trinity Church, we have never known the kind of giving to our helps fund that this last year has known. Your generosity off the charts. And as a result, our ministry staff has been working to be able to help meet needs in our church family and in our community. It's been awesome. Some of you are frontline workers. It's amazing you got away today to be a part of this service because you've been working like a dog, trying to meet needs and care for people. It's so rich. And, and if I were to ask you, if you have served others in those ways, in any of those ways this last year, so many of you would say, yes, I did. I would do it again. It was rich. But what about the times? Think about this. What about the times when you maybe reached out to someone and it wasn't received well? Your intentions were so good, just wanting to be helpful. And the person that you responded to was like, eh. Or the person you tried to help actually gave you a problem, <laughs> was critical somehow of what you were trying to do. Or even on top of that, expected that you would do this. And the simple reality is, is that for so many, those things happened only once. I'm not doing that again. And I think we can all relate. I love this quote. Look at it in your notes and on the screen. That when it comes to these ideas of serving, most people can handle being a servant until they're treated like one. And that's when it gets rough. That's when it gets to be, you know what? It's hard enough to do this. I don't necessarily even need a huge applause, but just a thank you would be great. You know what's powerful? When Jesus does what he does in Philippians 2, and Paul's recounting of humbling himself to enter into our world and go to the cross, he did that just as much for people who would respond in gratitude as he did for people who would not. Jesus gave and Jesus served, and it wasn't based on how you were going to respond in thankfulness or gratitude. It was simply because that was the will of the Father. I put out to you and me today, there have been times that have been hard in the pandemic to, to be in that position of descending to be able to help meet needs, and they've been received poorly at times. Jesus kept on giving even when there wasn't a thank you, even when there was frustration and outrage is what he got in return. That's what makes this passage so powerful, and that's what makes what Jesus does so powerful. Other New Testament authors would encourage us to do the same. James chapter 4, verse 6. This is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. All of you, all of you, clothe yourselves, put it on like a garment with humility. Let that be what people see first. Humility toward one another because the same reference, God opposes the proud, but shows favor, gives grace to the humble. This Passion Week, our graphics have reflected really what you might say, it's been a tale of two crowns. When we gathered together on Friday, this was the graphic that we used to demonstrate Good Friday and the idea of the crown, and, and the, our, our luminous here is a little difficult, but if you see at Trinity Church, look below that, and you'll see some crags kind of going different directions. That's just part of a crown of thorns. And the reality is, is that's how this weekend begins, is with a crown, but a crown made of thorns. 
Number two, if you're keeping notes with us today, Jesus was exalted after he accomplished what was necessary for you to be rescued. Jesus was exalted after he accomplished what was necessary for you to be rescued. We continue, Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here at Trinity Church, when we see the word therefore, we ask, what's it there for? And this word is a, a summary word in what Paul is saying in light of all the things that Jesus did to stoop, to enter into our humanity, enter into our brokenness, and go to the cross as a sinless sacrifice of atonement in our place. All of those things, in, in light of all that, now here's what's next. God exalted him. And it says that God exalted him to a place where there's no one who can compare to him. He has no rival. There is no one on par. And look at the demonstration of the other descriptors. He gave him the name that is above every name. It seems like in the sports world in the last decade or so, a, a term, an acronym has become very prevalent that we call GOAT. Now, earlier in sports, GOAT is what you didn't want to be. Right? If you miss the last shot, you're the goat, like a scapegoat. You're the one who blew it. But this acronym, greatest of all time, GOAT. This person is the goat of their sport. And that's this moniker is bounced around and given to someone at this day and two weeks later to someone else. And everyone's kind of battling. I mean, it's one thing to win a championship. It's another thing to be in the hall of fame for your sport. But it is far different to be the goat having nothing to do with hitting a ball or making a basket or scoring a touchdown. On a much higher level and for much greater gain, Jesus is the goat. There is no one who compares to him. And as a result, every knee will bow. Look at the next part. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. While some speculate today, if it's this athlete in this sport or that athlete in that, they're the goat, there will be no speculation, there'll be no conversation, it'll be obvious, Jesus is the one. And it will be known above, below, and in the middle. Everyone will bow to him. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they won't be acknowledging that he's the goat, they'll be acknowledging that he's Lord. Master, ruler, of all. The Bible says that day is going to happen, and the fascinating thing is that day doesn't say this will be true of all of those who put their faith in him. It says everybody everywhere is going to confess his name and bend their knee. That's a powerful thing to know. And, and you might walk away and go, wow, all this exaltation, Jesus is going to have a really big head at the end of all this. I mean, every, everyone's going to be focused on him. It's this huge. But you missed the last phrase of the song that we read. To the glory of God the Father. See, all that does is it mirrors what Jesus was doing all throughout his earthly life. Is he kept pointing people to the power, kept pointing people to the love, kept pointing people to the worthiness of the Father and making much of him. So in his earthly life and ministry, so it will be throughout eternity. The focus is back to the Father. It's always been his role.
the last or the middle part of what we read in that song, right, Philippians 2, Paul's actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And what's powerful about the passage that he quotes from, he's not just invoking these two lines, he's invoking the whole concept. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. This is Yahweh, God is speaking in this case. He says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has, utter, has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. And look at the word, it's what we just read. Before me every knee will bow and by me every tongue will swear. Now watch. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength, and all who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. I don't wish, want you to miss the bookends of Isaiah 45, because it begins by saying, everybody everywhere is invited. Everybody everywhere is available to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be forgiven, and I would hate for you to think that that's everybody but the person sitting in your chair. You have not outsinned the grace of God. You have not outdone the forgiveness of God. You have not gone so far that you cannot come back because of his mercy. That's the truth. And you say, Todd, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. I know that. I totally get that. But the Bible tells me no matter what you've done, God's invitation for salvation is extended to you. You're not cut off. But I would hate for you to miss the back end, the other bookend, where the invitation is for everyone everywhere, but also for those who don't respond to their need for forgiveness. Judgment is sure. I love you too much not to tell you that truth. That on the one hand, salvation is offered to everyone, but on the other hand, what's also true is judgment is coming for those who don't respond. You need to hear that on Easter Sunday because it amplifies all the more, not just what Jesus did, but what you need. And as we said a few minutes ago, as it goes for the leader, so it goes for his followers. As Jesus rose from the dead and was rewarded for his obedience, so it will be for his followers in like manner. I love this quote from Dr. King. It says, Christianity has always insisted that the cross we bear precedes the crown we wear. Christianity has always insisted, this has always been the truth, the cross we bear always precedes the crown we wear. And the reality is that both are a part of our lives and one always comes first. And what's that crown that we will wear it's one that's made not from thorns, but one that bears the glory of God found in Jesus' victory over sin and death. That's the tale of two crowns. That's why our graphic looks the way it does. Note that both of the passages that we looked at a few minutes ago, they include this other idea as well. James chapter 4, later on in verse 10, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a promise connected to us intentionally humbling ourselves. God will lift us up. 1 Peter 5, 6, the very next words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And I want to say this today. When I begin talking about the rewards 
that are found in Scripture, when we will live a life that is found in Christ and living out obedience. For some of us, just because of the way we were raised or different things that you have concerns of in your life, you have yellow and red flags that are going off. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, wait, wait. He's talking about being rewarded for what we're doing. There's a problem, Houston. Well, can I just tell you, if, if you think that, you don't have a problem with me, you have a problem with the Bible. Because the Bible is littered with this kind of talk and for good reason. You see, if you think that I'm being based or somehow utilitarian to want to motivate you, to want to motivate me to keep walking and living and trusting Jesus in this life, then who you're really criticizing are the apostles. Because the apostles, when Jesus needed them the most, they scattered from him. But when they saw the resurrected Jesus, it transformed them. And every one of them gave the rest of their lives in the service of following and sharing this great news of the gospel. They were changed. If you have a problem, then you would be criticizing other biblical writers like Peter and Paul and James, passages we've looked at today that were encouraging aliens and strangers to be focused, to be focused on a heavenly country that was coming. If you're frustrated about reward, then you would be criticizing the early church who consistently had to remind themselves by looking at scripture and looking at one another, let's not give up. Though we're being persecuted by godless authorities all over the world, don't give up. It's going to be worth it. You'd be criticizing slaves from our own country who wrote gospel music, who wrote spirituals, and the essence of every one of them is the same. Life is very, very hard here, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. The Bible gives us this kind of language because it knows we need encouragement. We need motivation to keep going when it gets hard. So what does this all mean for us today on Easter Sunday? I just want to remind you of the very first words from Philippians 2 that we read today. They're back up on the screen. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. All along, Paul has said, Jesus is not just who saves us, he's our example. We are meant to walk this out. And the first four verses of this chapter show us what that looks like. Finally, number three, we're expected to condescend towards each other now as we await the day when we will rise. We're expected to condescend towards one another now as we await the day when we will rise. Back to the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, <clears throat> if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. We look today at Philippians 2 out of order for a reason. Because I believe that the application of this passage is in the very first four verses and the illustration of how it is, is demonstrated to us through the life of Christ is the second part, the song. 
So we read them out of order to say, let's look at the example of Jesus and then go back and say, how practical is this? What does this actually mean for how we were to live as a group of people willing to descend, knowing one day we'll rise? Look at the phrases. This first verse, Paul is using rhetorical language of which the Philippian Christians would have shouted in unison to every one of his, if you have questions, a resounding yes. Duh. Like Paul, absolutely these things are true. The second verse is all about the importance of living in unity with one another as a local body of Christ. Look at all these descripting words, like-minded, same love, one in spirit, of one mind. You need to know that when it comes to the teaching of the New Testament, unity is not a suggestion. It is an expectation of a local body. Unity is not a suggestion. It's an expectation of a local body. We are called to be a people who walk in unity. Now, it's easy to say that from the front or in our conversations. We should be unified. But this passage... This passage actually gets into the nitty-gritty of how you actually do that. Because we can't just keep saying we need to walk in unity. We have to show it. There's a prescription of how to do that. And look at That's what verses 3 and 4 are all about. It talks about the humility, the you first, me second kind of perspective that's required. That kind of selflessness for us to walk in unity. Unity doesn't happen as long as I keep holding on to my rights. As long as I keep holding on to my preferences, because my preferences will butt up against yours. That's where I need to give. That's where I need to descend. That's where we need to work together to walk in that kind of unity. I love the way that this paraphrase called the message puts these words, the last two verses we looked at. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. That so just brings it down off the, the, the high counter and makes it available to all of us. Look in your notes. We can't look at Jesus' example of descending and then rising merely in some theoretical manner because Philippians 2 won't let us. This whole song, this beautiful hymn that the early church sang was not meant to be what a theoretically wonderful idea that Jesus descended into our humanity and then rose again. And isn't that wonderful as we sing praise to him? And we just leave it there. It's all throughout this passage meant to demonstrate back to us we are called to be this. We're called to live likewise. Paul gets real and he gets practical about what Jesus' selfless humility looks like in the lives of his people. The kind of humility that we were called to demonstrate to one another in this past year of a pandemic and the kind of humility that we'll need to keep demonstrating however hard it may be in the coming days, weeks, and months. And here's a simple reason why. Because it's going to be worth it. Embrace Jesus' words and example that you must descend before you will rise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people so incredibly grateful that Jesus did descend. The choice was his, and he willingly went to the cross, 
willingly died in our place, willingly offered himself as a sinless sacrifice that covered our sin. And Father, we rejoice, we celebrate today in his resurrection. In the fact that he conquered sin, he conquered death for us. And as he has risen, God, his promise to us is that we someday will as well. So Father, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for Resurrection Sunday. If you're here today and, and you heard me talk about, especially from Isaiah, these bookend truths that salvation rescue has been extended to all, but there'll be judgment if we don't respond, I just would hate for you to leave today not having the opportunity to respond, not having the opportunity as you've heard about this God man, and you, if there's ever a time in your life, it's been somewhere in this last year in the pandemic, you've realized you're way more out of control than you thought you were. You need someone, something much bigger, much higher than you. And it begins with these three letters, A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Admit that you've been born into a broken world and in that brokenness, you have acted sinfully as well. You're sinful by nature, you're sinful by action. And when you admit that, you're simply admitting you're a part of the human race. B is believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available. Believe that he did live a sinless life. Believe that he did die sacrificially on the cross for you. Believe that he was supernaturally raised from the dead on the third day. Believe that what he's done for you is done. And it's not about what you have to somehow do to earn. He's done it. C is choose. Choose to put your confidence, your trust, your hope in the accomplished work of Jesus. Believe. That what he did 2,000 years ago, he did for you. Walk forward in his example like we've seen today. Don't let another moment go by. Reach out to Jesus. Respond in obedience to this incredible love given to you. And the great news is, just as Easter, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from here forward, Easter will be your resurrection too. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your amazing, rich mercy and grace over our lives, your extravagant love. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.